0: Welcome to the podcast. I am Shane Barker, your host of Shane Barker's Marketing Madness Podcast. Today, we'll be discussing how PR and content can work together. My guest, Amy Higgins, is a Director of Content Marketing at Sojourn, a media company that specializes in data-driven travel marketing. She's also a member of the Red Curtain Addict and a judge at Content Marketing Awards presented by Content Marketing Institute. Listen as she talks about the changing world of PR and content marketing. Stay tuned till the end to find out how she combines these strategies effortlessly. Just to kind of get a foundation of you as an individual and like that kind of stuff. Yeah. So where did you grow up? Like, where, where are you currently? How about that? Let's start there.
1: Okay. So I'm in San Francisco currently. Um, I've been here, not to date myself, over a couple of decades.
0: A couple of, what did you move when you were like four or
1: something? Exactly. Yeah.
0: Very young. You were a mover and a shaker at an early age. So I didn't know you're in San Francisco. I'm in Sacramento.
1: Yeah. I'm in oh, San Francisco. quite often.
0: I know. I'm like I could. I just want to look out my window because maybe I could see you. My brother lives in San Francisco. Not that you would know him because I know San Francisco is a huge city.
1: It's small at the same time.
0: Yeah, that's true. When it comes to I guess content and, and the world of marketing. So you lived there a few decades.
1: Yeah, a few decades. Seen the dot com boom, bust, boom again. Man waiting for the bust
0: that's it just up and down up and down up and yep. down and you've been a part of it you're like on the roller coaster and just probably riding a little more straight but
1: yeah well i wasn't a part of the first dot com boom
0: uh-huh.
1: or bust but i saw everything of it
0: you did you saw the aftermath and you thought you know what i want to be a part of that i want to be there for the next one <laughs> right
1: i want to be there when it all burns that's down it. When,
0: when i want to be the one with the match or at least somewhere close right i mean that's From a pyro perspective, I'm just trying to think of everybody. So cool, but did you grow up in San Francisco? No.
1: No, I grew up in Galveston, Texas.
0: Galveston, okay. Here goes a fun fact. Well, the fun fact is I don't know when this podcast is going to come out, so I'm going to sell you something and this could happen a month later, but I'm actually going to Austin in one week now. I've never been to Austin.
1: Oh, you would like Austin. I love Austin. So
0: this is the thing. I don't know why, like I'm a big food, music, let's hang out, let's have some fun person, and there seems to be this this thing of people that I've talked to, there was this common line of people that were from Austin and they're like, oh my God, you've never been to Austin? And I got so tired of telling people that I've never been to Austin, but I literally planned a trip to Austin just so I can tell people from Austin that I've been to Austin. There I, you go. I'm, I'm all about potential problems and solutions, sister. I mean, I go yeah. and I go and I'm like, you know, I'm just going to plan this I trip. So, no. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm terrible at that too. I feel like you do know me. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm literally going to Austin and I couldn't be happier. Like of course, I've got some, you know, big commerce and I got some other clients that I'm meeting with, but the exciting part about it is I just, I'm like, I don't know. There's a, there's so many groups of people that I know that are, that I didn't realize were in the Austin area until I started kind of looking it up. And I was like, my gosh, I'm probably, I'm going to be there four days and it's not enough time to shake enough hands and kiss enough babies. So I, I don't know, yeah. but I'm really excited about it. Like anyways, I'm kind of pumped. So shout out to Texas and everybody in Texas.
1: Okay. Well, Austin is its own unique Island away from the rest of Texas.
0: That's what I heard. From perspective yeah like i heard that it's kind of like the i heard this if you've been to Asheville, north carolina i don't know why i'm bringing this up now they call that like the san francisco of the east coast and i don't know why i would think of austin not as the san francisco because it's obviously a very different landscape yeah i guess if there's fun cities that i haven't gone to Mm -hmm. it bothers me like i feel like i need to go and i need to go there and, and figure out why it's fun
1: yeah me too
0: i'm gonna go do my research that's why you end up in san francisco so how did that all happen like how did you end up in san francisco
1: So I moved in with my sister in high school, stepsister, Yeah, lived with her junior year of high school. We lived here for six months and then we lived in the LA area for six months. And then she was like, you know what? I can't have a teenager in my house anymore. Go back home, go back to mom and dad. So I went back home, graduated. And instead of looking at the college I wanted to go to, I looked at the city, like, let me get back to San Francisco what college do I
0: want to go to? It's awesome. Yeah. So you're based around the city. I mean, that's not a bad idea. My son actually based his college around YouTube videos of Girls Gone Wild on which college he wanted to go to. No, he didn't. I'm, I'm telling did. you, this is <laughs> this nothing new with content, but this is some juicy information. I literally No pun intended. my yes, yeah, super juicy. Um, my son came to me and was like, either I want to go to Chico State, which if you know Chico State, which is from Sierra Nevada. I used to own a bar in Chico another conversation mm-hmm. or he wanted to go to ASU, Arizona State University.
1: Okay.
0: So I feel like he just was like, what are the top 10 two-party schools that are within, you know, 500 mile radius? And then there's probably other ones. There's San Diego and some other ones, but I feel like those were the two options that he brought to the table for me. Hmm. Interesting. So, but Interesting. So I think he picked his major not do because he wanted to be business or, you know, he thought this is great. Like I would ask like, what's the program like? And he's like, I mean, they're good. I'm like, that's not a solid answer. I don't think good is, I, I, you know, you wouldn't look yeah. just says good. Like it's good or not good or great. That's the three different options. Um, yeah. Anyway, so I might, he is at Chico state right now um, and he actually is coming home. So I'm excited about that. But anyways, little side okay. notes, little side notes about, you know, you can pick your college gone wild or whatever. And that's awesome. You pick the city and then you said, now what can I base it around the city? I want to live in there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So how big was your family growing up? Like in Texas,
1: my dad's born of eight. Wow. So Irish Catholic family. Hello. Yeah. So I think I have 32 or 35. I have no idea. First cousins on his side. Good Lord. And then my mom was born of three and I have three cousins on that side.
0: Isn't that funny? It's like one side's like three and the other one's like 500.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: The Irish Catholic. That makes sense. So it's funny. So I'm Irish. My wife's Italian. But we don't have like thousands of kids that we know about or like all these relatives. we got a good amount, but nothing like that. That was, you guys were, they were putting in work. Yeah definitely the population thing increased because of them. So tell us an interesting fact about your family, like something growing up that we wouldn't know, obviously it has nothing to do with content, but I'm just kind of intrigued by your Texas upbringings.
1: So my grandmother on my dad's side, and I recently found this out like within the past couple of years. Mm. She came over with my grandfather from Ireland. I don't think any of the kids were born yet. And then she went back home. Granddad was like, go home, see if this is what you really want to do. If you want to go back home, great. I'll come back over. And, you know, go home back then wasn't like, oh, I'll just hop on a plane. No,
0: you weren't taking part.
1: Yeah, it's a two-week yeah. rough boat ride. Yeah. She went home. I think she was there maybe three months. And she said, nope. She came back. She was eight months pregnant, seven or eight months pregnant. And she's like, nope, coming back to coming back to live here. This is it. But the funniest thing wasn't that she came back pregnant. Was that she smuggled in whiskey in her petticoats.
0: Uh, see, that's... God, mm-hmm. I, I want, is your grandma, is she, she's still around? No. Oh, God, I would want to meet her because that's my kind of woman. I mean, not that we would yeah. need her anything because I'm happily married, but that's awesome. So she was yeah. bringing back the whiskey.
1: She brought back the whiskey. So Galveston set up like an historical, they have their own historical society and they set up an immigration port historical place. And my mother and my brother were walking through it. And my mom's like, hey, that's your father's family. Yes. Awesome. And it's stated on there, you know, Miss Higgins or O'Higgins at the time brought in smuggled in whiskey.
0: Was that her mafia name, O'Higgins? Or was that her?
1: No, that's the Irish name. Ah, my grandfather brought the O.
0: Gotcha. Just so that he wouldn't, people wouldn't know you were yeah. Irish. Yeah. They were like, hey, take out the O and nobody will know. So this is what's funny. So my wife's family, once again, has nothing to do with content, but that's we're going to deviate. My wife's family came over as Padalucci. And then they didn't want it to be Padalucci because they were like, "Hey, we want to be American." I'm assuming this is mm-hmm. story, and so they made it Padalock, and they're like the only Padalocks in the world because there's no huh. like Padalock, like it's like P A T T A L L O C K. So, anyways, they're the only Padalocks in the world, even though their last name is Padalucci. So, it's interesting that when you Ellis Island or wherever whoever came through and how they kind of yeah. change things a little bit. Yeah. And now I like the O. Like I would rather not. That I would rather I you love know, the but o. It's, I think so. Oh, I think it's cool. And you're like, oh, it's like. Oh, that's awesome.
1: Oh, Higgins oh,
0: is here. Oh, Higgins. Oh, Higgins. I just didn't know that like it was her mob name or something. I didn't know. She was bringing over whiskey and stuff. Any guns or anything like that? Drugs or just all?
1: No, not that I know of, but who knows with my family. So they
0: might pop up, right? I mean, you're going to be the a thing. You're like, oh, most of the cocaine came in. You're like, oh my God, oh, Higgins. There she is again. Just kidding about the cocaine thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so when you went to San Francisco, so what college after you went back to San Francisco, did you end up attending college in San Francisco?
1: Yeah, so I went to FIT which is Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising.
0: Yeah.
1: I went there for one year, and then got a job at the opera, Hello. and so took a leave of absence. So I, when I was here as a junior, I interned at the opera in the costume shop. you
0: about in high school, right? Junior in high school. In high school, yeah, yeah, yeah right. in high school. Yeah.
1: And then when I came back, you know, this is really dawn of email. No one really has email addresses, no smartphones, no text, I think we had pagers. I would snail mail the costume shop director of, hey, I really enjoyed my time with you a couple years ago. I would love the opportunity to work there. And I would just mail her letters after letters. And so finally she called me up and she's like, look, we're middle of the season. Come in. We'll do your interview. Just stop mailing me.
0: So was that before or after they filed the restraining order? Was that or did they already have that in place or was that
1: You know, I, I don't know if they ever put it in place. I think there was always the threat where they kinda dangled it out in front.
0: I like it. You're, you're like, listen, I'm, you're going to hire me. Like, I promise you're you.
1: You're going to hire me whether you like it or not. You will yeah.
0: because I'll just, the stamps are, I can I can do this all day, lady. I can I can send you letters all day. I think it's awesome though. It shows perseverance and it shows. I actually, I have a few friends and, and I've actually done that myself. Like where it's like, I'm just going to keep hitting you up and tell you. Because mm-hmm. I mean, also I think if I was an employer, that also looks at somebody that's really serious, right? Like obviously I'm serious because I'm like stalking you and writing you letters, right? Yeah. For all the people that don't know what letters are, I'll explain that we'll put something in the bio on the bottom letter is and how you write it and stuff like that. Cause it's kind of an, that's an old art form that we don't use anymore. Yeah. So now I was like, what do you mean? I would just send them a text message. I would, what's them. Like, well, what does she mean writing a letter? It's an old form of like calligraphy and stuff, but we'll explain that later in the podcast. But so how did you go from the fashion industry, which obviously in San Francisco is, I've always been jealous of like, like my brother's style in San Francisco, even though it's very simple, but like you can tell people that live in San Francisco because they just always have a little bit of more swagger, I guess, right? In Sacramento, yeah. it's, a little, it's a little more, not conservative, maybe a little more conservative, but I just, I always, you know, the same thing with people in Europe and you see me like, oh, that guy's from Europe. Like, you know, oh, that girl's from Europe. It's like, has that little distinct thing. Is that, so what what caused you to go into the fashion industry and then switch gears and go into marketing and communications?
1: So, Fashion was always a hobby of mine. Mm. So I've been sewing since I was 12. Always made my own costumes in theater, drama, also in science club. And so originally I was going to go into biology. And then when I lived with my sister, she's like, you know, you really like this and you're really good at it. You should do it. And so that turned me from science to art. Yeah. And then when I was in school, I was doing fashion and then realized that everybody in fashion... Could be a little hard to deal with. It's a hard industry. Oh, who knew? Surprise. So I switched to textiles. And textile is really cool because it, it's mathematical, but it's also design. Uh-huh. And then I switched to a focus on interior design. So textiles fit for interiors. So that's what I finished with. But unfortunately, right when I graduated school, I became really sick. And so I was bedridden for about three years, disabled for a good 10 probably. And I was working at a motorcycle shop. So yet another another career of mine. I worked in the motorsports industry for about 10 years. And I did everything except get my hands dirty. So I managed the shop. I did shipping and receiving. I did all the work orders, mechanic orders, parts, accessories, set up the display, merchandising, purchase and receiving, like everything. Sell bikes. Everything except being a mechanic. And one day it hit me. I was like, I have a degree. I have a BFA. And I'm working in retail and I can't do this anymore. So I started researching jobs. What would be the career path? And there's only like three or four career paths, really. So I researched those, see if I wanted to do it. And then I kind of had a come to Jesus moment. Yeah. of like, what do I really like to do? What of what I'm doing now do I enjoy? And it came down to marketing. And so I actually went to night school at Berkeley for about two years to get my uh, certification in marketing.
0: This is what I love about podcasts because you get these stories. Like, you know, you, it's funny. It's how you just glaze over. You're like, yeah, I was sick for three years or a bid for three years and sick for 10 years. So anyways, and then I'm running a, a, a store. I'm a pretty much... I'm the, you know, the thing is, you're like I'm more mechanically inclined than Shane will ever be. Is really what I heard, which is solely true because you probably would fix a bike, and I'd be like, listen, I don't, I'm gonna have to go talk to Amy O'Higgins to to go and and, and help me with this bike. That's awesome. So how did that, like, God, I don't know. I want to partly talk about being sick, not talk about that, but I mean in the sense of like getting through all that. Like to me, that's like, and once again, we don't have to go heavy into what that. or what's going on, but I think that's what did it take to get through that? I know once again it's nothing to do with content, but I'm intrigued by that of like because you just seem you seem like a very strong individual. What I mean by that is like you seem like like I'm gonna go be in I'm in charge of a motorcycle shop, which you probably didn't have tons of experience with that. But you're like, no, I'm gonna nope. f- take no for an answer and I'm just gonna go do it yeah. that attitude. So like tell me a little bit about how hard was it to there's I mean, I guess I'm trying to pick out the mindset of you because you seem yeah. I'm gonna just go do it. I'm just gonna go to Berkeley and go do this, or I'm gonna go do this. You just seem I'm you know, junior year, I'm just gonna go out to California. You know, like, it's no big deal. Like, it's, it's a Tuesday.
1: I'm kind of a uber perfectionist. Like, I would be the one in school that would get a 99 and go to the teacher and be like, where did this one point come from? Why?" I was the people. I was the kid that other kids hated. you messing I was up the senior.
0: curve. Oh, I
1: know. Totally messed God. up the curve. The curve would
0: always mess me up. My lady is like, no, I want to get 104. I'm like, no, you don't. 99's already messing up my 76. All right? I, yeah. I don't need you going. Oh, okay. I still love you. But go ahead. Keep going. Okay.
1: So then... I think when you're sick and I've seen the same things with friends of mine who have cancer or any sort of debilitating disease or life expectancy disease, it changes your mindset because you don't, you don't have a choice. Uh, you know, when you have the flu, you're like, okay, I'm going to, you know, take a couple of NyQuil, go to sleep tonight, take a couple of DayQuil tomorrow, go to work, suffer through, keep going. Yeah. But when you have an illness for so long, you don't have a choice. You have to keep going. You know, it's do or die situation. Yeah. And so I think on the days that I feel good and the days that, you know, the years that I feel good, I'm just full steam ahead. Yeah. I'm like, yay, here it is. I can do this. But on the flip side, it also kind of tests your limits. Because you're like, oh, if I go to a 10, could I possibly go to an eleven? And then you might go to eleven, but it sets you all the way back down to two. And you're like, ah, that was the wrong move. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I love I love your perspective on that, right? Because I think I think life's all about perspective, right? You can look at mm-hmm. things and I hate to say half empty, half full, but I think that's important when it comes to perspective and, and how people live their lives, right? And I think for you. You look at, I mean, obviously you have ups and downs Days, as I think everybody does, but I think it's interesting. I love that your perspective is, is like, you really seem to really, really appreciate life. And yeah. I think there's something to learn there from anybody is just life is and not to be cliche is like, you know, half empty, half full in a glass and I think mm-hmm. I get so I'll give you i am gonna give you one thing this is nothing to do with content but I had a situation this happened this about almost a, about a year ago maybe nine months ago now I, I was doing CrossFit and I hurt my back went to a chiropractor hurt my back even more and I'm going to the emergency room and now my right leg is 100% numb right
1: <laughs> yeah you pinched a nerve
0: definitely pinched a nerve for sure right and so we didn't know whether it was a nerve or whether it was the shot pulp fiction style that the nurse gave me in the emergency room like no joke like oh. yeah it's a whole nerve. and my mom's a nurse and my wife's a nurse they were both there so it's up there's a long, a long only reason I'm telling you the story is because it's very interesting for me when I think about mobility, but I, I think just life in general about, you know, I, I look and I go, oh, my legs, this sucks. I can't run. I can't box. I can't do my CrossFit. And then I can literally be driving down the street and I see somebody that's in a wheelchair or, or something like that. And I go, you know what, it's all perspective and not to say that, oh, I've got mm-hmm. my life, I don't have their life. I'm not trying to say that, but I think it's, I get reminded that, you know what, things are still good. Like I still have my health and I've got family and I've got good stuff in life. And I just think that's important. And like I said, it has nothing to do with content and the conversation we're having, but I just think it's, I love your perspective on it of like for you, it's like, cause you have a really great personality, obviously. And you're very, very, Aww, thank very you. uppity and which is cool. And that's, I enjoy these types of interviews. And so it's, it's interesting to hear about not necessarily what you have going on, but in the sense of how you, how you take that and you turn that into something. But I, I get that from your personality because I was looking at like what you've done in the past and, you have a very uh, colored background. I mean, like you've done a lot of different things, Mm -hmm. which is makes it really interesting and fun for podcasts because then I got to ask these these questions of like, you know, once again, we'll probably talk like 2% about content marketing and 98% about just like what you've done to, to, to get to where you're at the point where you're at, today, yeah. which is cool. I love that kind of stuff. It's kind of fun to see people's life path and perspective and how they do things. So anyways, you've got a good, good little vibe about you. Mm-hmm. So we will, we did talk about that 2% of content marketing. So I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. Okay. So when we talk about like content marketing and PR, like what would be your title? Like this is always the hardest part for me. Like people, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, titles. Like, but like what would be your title? Like if, in regards to, I mean, obviously you know, you're having the content side and there's a PR play as well. Mm-hmm. What can just consider yourself title? Title wise.
1: Title wise, usually a content strategist. Okay.
0: That makes total sense. And so and on that side of it, obviously there's obviously a little bit of a PR play there as well, right? When you talk about so when you Uh say content strategist, like define what that means to you. Like what do you do on a daily basis?
1: Well, I think that changes depending on my clients or my job. I've had, well, I'll have had. i tell you what I have done. So I've had places where I'm the content marketer, which means I'm the community manager, I'm the event coordinator, I'm the blog writer, and I'm the ebook writer. And oh yeah, I write thought leadership articles for the CEO. And I've been at other places where all I do is work with marketers to figure out how they can get the best lead gen program working. And so I might be working with a writer, a designer, a email marketer, a marketing analytics person, someone who can go deep into Salesforce yeah. or any of the marketing, you know, like Marketo or Eloqua going go in there and set up all the triggers. So it, it changes every day. Yeah. I think PR is starting to fuzz into content just as much as design is starting to fuzz into content, just as much as like product marketing is starting to fuzz into content. So it really just... It's who you're working with and how the team is built.
0: Yeah, and I think that's what's interesting is that you kind of touch on a little bit. Is it, is that what you enjoy about being a strategist? Is that it's kind of different? Like you, have yeah. right? I for me, that's kind of what it is. That's why titles are so hard for me because there's so many different things of different projects that we take on that I enjoy. So it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I do a lot of influencer marketing. Okay, that's great. Well, we do a lot of content as well. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'm, we can do SEO. We can knock it out with that. So it's like, it's so hard to throw a title on that. But I like the content, which I mean, really what you are as a project manager, you can project manage anything that needs to be project managed, what it sounds yeah. like, or manage somebody or jump in there and do it. Like you're that person. person's like, either I can write or I can hire somebody to write it. But at the end of the day, it's going to get done.
1: But it's not just project management. It's looking at almost like a puzzle maker. Yeah. So it's looking at how everything fits together and what needs to be done and what doesn't need to be done. I think that's the biggest problem with content. And I forget which story this is from, which report, but even today, most marketers say that 80% of content they produce doesn't get used. It's crazy. Yeah. So think about 80% of your work. Think about how many vacation days you could take if 80% of it wasn't being used.
0: Yeah. That's disturbing. I mean, that's a, I mean, it's yeah. just, just a lot of content. You know, it's like
1: mm-hmm.
0: 80% of it. Well, that's kind of crazy.
1: Well, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I worked for a company that we were looking at win-loss reports. When people come in, why are we winning the sale? Why are we losing the sale? And then we looked at our key assets. What big assets do we have currently? How are they performing? but our performance metrics were all off. So we were looking at this particular content gets opened the most. This is the most downloaded content that we have. Therefore, everything we should produce should be based off of this. But when I dug into it, it was the biggest views, but also the biggest bounce. Uh-huh. So it was written with a title that was very SEO friendly yeah. and written with you know, the first landing page that people are like, ooh, I want this. But then when they opened it up, it wasn't what they wanted. Uh, And I think that's almost worse, getting a customer, getting their expectations high and crashing them because they're never going to come back rather than kind of halfway meeting their expectations.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you have this with like PPC and landing pages, right? If you're looking for a blue widget and you go to a thing, and it's a green widget, it's still a widget, but it's not the green widget you were looking for, right? And so it's kind of that yeah. same deal of like, and that's, I think you get that with like click bait stuff, you know, where people are like, oh, this is, yeah. oh, let me go read this. And you're like, eh. I mean, I get that on, I used to write for some sites. I won't say who they are. You probably know who they are, but where we would like all of their stuff was really clickbaity, you know, where it's like, Oh, let me tell you the two things that Bill Gates did to be successful. And then you read it and he's like, he was persevering and he was energetic. I'm like, really? Did I just like to make billions? That's what you. I mean, I'm so confused. On you know, and not that I probably should have been clicking on it. To you know, not that I thought they were going to be like, listen, Shane, we're not going to tell anybody else, but we're going to tell you this is what he did to make billions. But it's like you see, they read that kind of stuff. It's like, ah, oh, man, that's just a disconnect. Like, why am I even reading this type of content? But that's interesting to see. it's where it's like, hey, this looked like this was the best piece ever, and yes, it is, but it's also the worst, right? So it's like, is yeah. that what you want to produce, right? So that's great. People are downloading it. But are they download it for the right reasons? And then they're getting disappointed, which is when she said, this. it's like, mm-hmm. hey, we got this sixth grade. Oh, nope. Are you? It's one thing to produce something that's maybe not phenomenal, but at least people get some good information. But it seems like there was just a huge disconnect between the downloads and the people that were actually obtaining the information.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like if you hear a restaurant has starring reviews and then you go in and the food is subpar, you're never going to go back again. Yeah. But also you're never going to trust that review site again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the review things are always interesting because of, you know, the potential of getting fake reviews or, you know, Yelp and some other companies that, you know, not head on give Yelp, you know, say bad things about Yelp, but there's potentially things that, you know, those, those reviews can really affect businesses either way, either positive or negatively. And I know with Yelp, a lot of times they'll go and offer advertisement if you need help with your reviews or if you need to help to get them down a little bit, which is kind of, it is what it is. And we don't need to go heavy into that right now, but I think it's interesting, you know, the whole review side of things and, and being able to, you know, having that right reviews are so important when it comes to online businesses. And I think a lot of businesses miss that, of like, Oh, I can just ignore it. Like, no, you can't. And you shouldn't. And there's, you know, these reviews are happening, whether you acknowledge them or not. And like, how do you get control of that? You know? And so I think, I don't know, that's a whole nother conversation is online yeah. reviews, but I think it is something that, that affects PR that affects everything. Right. And I think content can also help with reviews and help with sediment and people being able to better understand something about a company or whatever that may be, or and it plays into the PR side of things as well. Right. Things that are being yeah. written about the company. So interesting. So if you take, so, I mean, obviously you've worked for like Zendesk and it was one of the companies that you used to work for.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What would you say if there was a, a, either a content marketing or PR initiatives, like what companies do you think are doing really, really well when it comes to, I would say content marketing, maybe even PR, maybe there's some play with that. Or maybe, you know, maybe say, no, this person, this company's doing great with content marketing. They're doing great with PR. Is there anybody that stands out to you?
1: So I always use the example of LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Their content has grown up as, as content marketing has grown up. I think... You know, they do really in-depth content for an audience, like the marketer audience, the sales solution audience, and they fit it all the way across the funnel. I mean, anytime I read their blog, I find useful information. For consumer side, I think Nike does a really good job. They catch on trends immediately. They go beyond what we normally think of content, like making sure that there's an app that you can track your exercise that they give you exercise hints. They give you lifestyle hints. So it's not just buy our shoes, buy our clothing, but it's more of a lifestyle by our brand.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a, we've seen that change, I would say in the last, well, I know I'll give you an example. So when we started writing the blog, my blog, probably seven or eight years ago, our big thing was like, let's just offer value right? Like we don't need mm-hmm. to talk about Shane's services all day because nobody cares about my services, mm-hmm. right? They, what they care about is great information. And then I just happen to be there, right? Nike being that example, Hey, you want to do this? You want hey, I want to track my, whatever my steps. I want to track this. Well, Nike happens to be the solution for that, right? But what we're doing is going to educate you on what you do to be healthier. And now naturally you probably going to go to Nike because you're on the website, you're seeing all their stuff. And there we go. It makes total sense to go buy the product. Yeah. So I think that I do love that. And I think I always recommend it's, it's a longer term play, right? We don't all have Nike budgets, but I think it's a longer term play of to educate the consumer and then let the consumer make the natural decision to come back to you. If it makes sense, right? If you're writing content, that's providing mm-hmm. that much value. And it sounds like LinkedIn is a good example for you. When you start reading their content, you're like, God, every time I read some of their content, I'm pulling a little good little nugget of information, right? Yeah. Which keeps you coming back. And I think same thing with Nike offering great information. And then when I'm ready to buy the shoe that, taps into my wristband that does this and my headband and so that I'm all connected and ready to go on my run and make sure I'm getting some credits for it, then, you know, there we go.
1: Yeah, then it works. I think that's a huge shift that we have to do with content is both on the B2B and B2C side, that it's really about education and knowledge and you become the trusted resource. So it's not, hey, buy my stuff. It's more, listen to me. And you don't want, just like how you don't want someone standing on the street yelling at you, you don't want a brand's content to stand on the street and yell at you.
0: We get what you do. We get the services. If we want to know about your services and you have that accessible for them, but you don't need to shove it down their throat, right? I think that's the the play is like, hey, when you're ready, the only downside for me with this, and we do this and we always do with our clients, but is that, you know, sometimes people are like, well, it's like to produce that kind of content takes a long time and this, that, and the other. It is a longer term play. I mean, I'll give you an example. Our site, I mean, I just this last year or two Started like really, I mean, all my stuff is inbound now. So, and what I mean by that is, we spent—I mean, I spent how many years on my blog writing content and then developing the team out, and now we're we're, we're seeing some really good stuff from it. So, I think it's—you know—once again, that is a longer-term play. But I think it's, it's the right play, right? I mean, it's like, I think it's, a, it's probably a, it's a better way to go because people, once again, they want to find your product and service, they can't, right? That's, not, that's yeah. not the hard part. They know what you do. The good part is, is if you're obviously giving some great content, you're a storyteller, you got something going on there that you're keeping people's attention.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, I think this stat hasn't changed for maybe five years, but Serious Decisions always says that by the time someone gets to the, I want to talk to a salesperson. Or by the time they walk into a store or go onto a website to purchase something, B2C or B2B, they've already made up their mind 70% of the way. And so having an outbound call, you know, and someone calling up, hey, do you wanna buy it? No one's, it's like the old vacuum cleaner sales guy knocking on the door. No one wants it anymore. They want to go to, hey, Mr. Smith down the street. He knows how to clean anything and, oh, yeah, I need a new vacuum, so I'm going to go down to Mr. Smith and buy it from
0: him. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's, you know, that plays into reviews. That plays into a lot of other things that go into that, right, to validate mm-hmm. your product or your service of what you have. That's interesting. Yeah, I love that. So what would be free softwares that you can't live with that? What are three of those that you think, man, if I didn't have these, life would be so much harder?
1: Ooh. <sighs> so I've worked at many companies where I have zero budget. So I have That's to, very low. Yeah, I have to play around with what it is. I think having a CRM system, no matter which CRM system it is, is key. Yeah, because you want to be able to track things. Having analytics is key, whether it be Google Analytics or Adobe Analytics. I was about to call it Omniture. I think it's not Adobe Analytics. <laughs> uh, <laughs> either one, and I, I'm a GA fan. That is key in understanding how analytics work and how things are tracked and what you need to track and what you don't need to track, absolutely key. And then across teams, I think there's always some sort of team collaboration thing that's key. And even with clients, like sending them a Google Doc where they can put feedback directly in it, or you can put feedback at the same time. I've managed teams where you send it to one person and they edit it, it, then you send another person, they edit it, and you send another person, they edit it. and by the end, you've got to take all that stuff and put it back and get it together and it, it ruins productivity. The last one I would say, well, actually there's two. So depending on what you're doing, some sort of SEO tool. Rather, like Moz has free ones, SEMrush, SEMrush, their free ones go a little bit, but their basic plan is so inexpensive that it's worth yeah. it. I find doing keyword tracking and seeing what your competition is up to is always key. And then for social media, if you really want to look at your social media, having analytics there. I'm a fan of Sprout Social. It goes deep. You can track everything from influencers to hashtags to competitors to responding and posting all at the same time.
0: Yeah, I think that's, it's funny when you talk about, I mean, the analytics, right? And, and I don't think people really understand what well, a lot of companies that I've talked to, they get analytics, but they don't really get analytics, right? And so it's like, when you ask them like, hey, well, what's, what's going well for you? I mean, that's probably whether they're reaching out to a, a marketer, right? But like, I don't really know, like, I'm not really sure when you come out, when you produce some content, like, what is your goals with the content? Uh, I'm not really sure. It's like, okay, then how do you know when you're going to get to the finish line or how do you know when you've achieved what you're looking for? Right. And I think a lot of people don't produce content with a purpose, right? Mm-mm. And I, In the beginning, I don't think anybody does, right? I didn't. I was like, I'm just writing a blog post. I don't know. I mean, keywords or whatever it was. I just want to produce something. And then, but I think over time, if you're doing it the right way, it's like, what is the goal of this? And then how are we measuring those, right? With anything, not only just with, with influencer yeah. marketing, with SEO, with anything, like, how are we, what are we looking at here? right? And what is the purpose of that? And then once again, is it getting great downloads? But is it also the one that people are having the biggest disconnect with, right? Which is something to take a look at.
1: And things will change. I went to a company and they're like, oh, we do this quarterly report. It's amazing. It gives us tons of leads. And I looked at it and I was like, how? And so one quarter, I put my head down. I'm like, I'm going to put 110 effort behind this. I'm going to pull all the levers, test all the buttons, do everything possible to make this thing explode." And what I found out qual- um, quantitatively is we had a 0.001% download rate, lead rate. So from a marketing perspective, it wasn't generating any leads. Yeah. From a PR perspective, loved it. we had very small, once in a blue moon, we'd get an article, but not, not that ah. much. And then from a qualitative perspective, now here's the key thing, is I went around to different departments and said, so we produce this amazing piece of content every year are you using it? How are you using it? Walk me walk me through it. So we publish it. Where does it go on your team? And the majority of people, it was like hot potato. Oh yeah, it's great. I love it. But our team doesn't really use it. I, I think this team uses it. So I go to that team. <laughs> Same thing. Like, oh, it's great. We love it. But we don't really use it. I think that team uses it.
0: So everybody was praising it going, this is awesome. But we don't use it. I mean, I love yeah. it. But it's, I think John likes it a lot more as so
1: yeah. And then John's like, oh, no, no, no. I don't love it. So ask Steve.
0: And then all of a sudden you went around full circle and you're like, wait a second. Okay. So yeah. who lo- likes it again?
1: Why are we doing this?
0: What was the point? And they're like, here comes Amy again. Here, give it to somebody else. Give it to somebody else. <laughs> that's interesting.
1: But they did it because they'd always done it. And I think that's the key thing with content is things change.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, your product changes, your people changes, the audience changes, and you have to stay on top of that. Well,
0: and I think what's interesting about it is for you, you seem like a... Um, you're the person that, that you want that hired with because there's a lot of yes people. And then you're not, you're like, nah, mm, nah no. not <laughs> it. sorry guys. I'm not like, I'm gonna look into this a little further. I'm like, Oh God, she's going to find out something that we don't know about, but just damn it, Amy's here, you know, and you go dig a little deeper, right. To kind of find out because really what it comes down to, like, is this working and, and why do you think that it's working? Why can you tell me mm-hmm. that it's working? What can you show me? What is the reasons? Like, what are the goals of this? And are we hitting yeah. it?
1: hey on the flip side, you have people who things are going under the radar. Like someone's doing some, I don't know, interactive infographic, and they used a platform that was very easy to use, and they were doing it to create lead gen to an event. And they're like, no, no, we're just going to do it. We don't want to bother the content team. We don't want to bother the design team. We'll just do it. So they go rogue. So you go over like, hey, what's working for you? What's not working for you? And they're like, oh, this is amazing. It was working really well. And you look at the data and it's like, that was working really well. Let's see how we can replicate yeah. it and take less effort for other teams to do the same results. Yeah,
0: I think it's the thing. Is for you, it's very analytical, right? Like you're, you need, which is awesome because most people aren't that way, right? I mean, all it takes is one guy goes rah rah rah, and everybody goes rah rah rah, and they're like, yeah, this is awesome. And it's like, why is it awesome? I don't, I don't know. Shane had his hand up. I don't know what he's doing. He's, he's drunk. I'm not sure what he's doing, but he seems to be super excited about this. And I think that's what's cool is that you're actually digging down and really finding out. Once again, either way, whether it's good or whether it's bad and kind of why that is. And just because you've always done it doesn't mean it's right. And especially if you've been doing it for a long time, it's probably not right anymore. Right. That's really what it comes down to is like, hey, you're, you've done this. and You've done this thing for 10 years, but so many things have changed in that time. You know, mm-hmm. you would think just your everything perspective, how things are done. I mean, there's just technology, the people, your audience. I mean, there's just a lot of variables there that you have to look at to see if they're all in sync with the stuff you've been doing for the last 15 years
1: hmm Exactly.
0: All right. So I have a question. So let's say, and I know you've, you've said you've been in San Francisco for decades, and we're not going to go into age. because My mom always told me, don't ever <laughs> ask a lady her age. So I'm never going to ask you your age. But what could Amy today tell Amy when she was in her 20s, like her early 20s? Would Amy listen? Cool. Would Amy in her 20s listen? I know Amy was a bull. She was like, listen, I'm going to do what I want to do because I'm Amy Higgin.
1: In my 20s, I was a completely different person. Really? Yeah, heavy, heavy punk rock, Look, industrial topic. I
0: mean, why would you not, huh? I mean, hello.
1: I, I think I owned like five motorcycles at the time. Look
0: at that. Were, were they motorcycles or did you have like the scooter? Were you in the scooter thing? No, you were a motorcycle.
1: Motorcycles, yeah. Did you call
0: yourself a motorcycle chick?
1: I hated that, oh, but yeah.
0: Okay. I didn't know. I didn't know if that was, I mean, I was never a motorcycle chick or dude. So I, I'm just throwing this out there for the audience that yeah. also rode motorcycles.
1: Mm-hmm. I think if I could go back to my 20s, I probably would have gone into the workforce sooner for marketing Mm. or explored it more. I mean, I shifted my career in my mid to late 20s.
0: It's one of those, but do you, this is the thing, do you think, do you regret the path you've taken?
1: No, I wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah. And I have a, I love my life.
0: Yeah, that's what I always think is like for me, everything's foundational, right? Whether it's Mm -hmm. whether you think it's right or whether it's wrong. To me, everything happens for a reason, not to get all like, mm-hmm. but I, I look at it like, well, these certain things happen for me to get here. And then I would have, if this would have been different then I wouldn't have had this. Right. So I feel yeah. like everything happens for a reason. I mean, there's things that like, I guess, but I, oh, I'll give you an example. This has to do with San Francisco. I think if I would have, instead of going to Chico, I went to, so I used to work for a Chevy's Mexican restaurant, long, long story. Their corporate was there in San Francisco. And I would go around and travel around to open restaurants. And I always thought if I didn't do the hospitality industry, this was, you know, many, many moons ago, I probably mm-hmm. would have moved to San Francisco and been really early on in the tech industry. And I probably would have been a billionaire or whatever. Not if money's your thing, that's great. Yeah. Right? Not really a billionaire. But, you know, somewhere there were probably early startups. We've been grinding it out. It would have been really interesting. But I also really enjoyed the restaurant thing. And I also enjoyed that. I just for me, my thing would have been like, Hey, I would have probably had a mentor or really done an internship. Mm -hmm. I got it myself. Like I'll figure it out. It's not a big deal. And that's what I did. And I think I, I probably had a number of years of learning that could have gotten, you know, where I could have learned all my stuff I need to learn in three months, five months, six months, instead of trying to grind it out on my own for 10 years or whatever it is. Yeah. So interesting. I just, I I don't know. I was just always kind of intrigued by that. I kind of, that's why I want to ask people like, Hey, what's you know, what would you have done? you so you would have jumped into marketing a little earlier.
1: Yeah, or I would have done the other route and skipped fashion altogether and gone into science. Sometimes it, it makes me wonder, like if I went back in my high school years and you know went into science and went into it was right when the and um, went into neurology or genealogy, genetics I was really interested in. If I went back and did that, what sort of life would I have today? What would be different?
0: Would you? Now I have a question for you. Would you label yourself a nerd back in the day? Oh, yeah, definitely. I not that so crazy? Because now a nerd, like, for me, I'm like, that's cool. Like, if somebody's called me a nerd, I think that's awesome. Like, I, I don't think I was necessarily a nerd when I was, like, 120 grams in total weight. Like, I was just a just – a, I look like I need to be fed every day. I was just a shriveled a shri- a little thing. But I think it's interesting of, like, that whole transition from, like, being nerd and being all this and then – you know most of the time like my son was like oh that kid's kind of a nerd I'm like he's probably gonna be your boss like be very careful mm-hmm. of of like you know who you call a nerd because you're probably gonna work for his company one day. So anyways
1: Well I there was a guy sorry I also ran nightclubs. Uh, of course.
0: I mean why would you not? Of
1: course. Yeah. Let me add another career. And one of the nightclubs that I worked with there was this one guy who would always be dancing in the corner by himself. And he was always kind of this weird like little stalkerish, couldn't really tell, but he was nice. So I was always nice to him. He now owns and developed one of the biggest software companies out there, one of the biggest tech companies out there. And so I'll see him at parties. Like I was at his birthday party a couple of years ago, and people are like, "How do you know him?" I was like,
0: "No, I don't." We go
1: idea. back. You don't even want to know. We go back.
0: That is too funny. Well, and I think that's another thing too. That's when we talk about just life and just how you treat people too, right? I mean, that's like you just never yeah. know who anybody is, but it shouldn't. You shouldn't treat somebody on who they are, what they've done. It's like you just treat everybody. With respect and are a good person, then that will come back. Or you never know what might happen because of that, right? So I think it's yeah. it's always a good a good thing just to kind of be be a good person and pay it forward. Mm-hmm. So there was a thing that I read about you in regards. There was an interview about a uh, Girl Scout cookies.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Tell us a little bit about the Girl Scout incident. What, what we had going on there?
1: Ah, it wasn't an incident. My mother would call it an incident. Ah, there
0: we go. Opinions.
1: Just like how on grades, I'd be like, right? I get the ninety nine. I always wanted to sell the most amount of Girl Scout cookies little competitive. And so maybe four or five years in a row, the time of year when the cookies came in, our living room, because we grew up in Texas. So you have a formal living room, a formal dining room, an informal living room, an informal dining room. So our formal dining room would be floor to ceiling boxes of Girl Scout cookies. And then I would walk around the neighborhood with a little red wagon and deliver all the cookies. It was to the point that if people didn't buy them from me, like my grandmother would bother them at church. Yeah. I got the whole family. Yeah. You know, granny got my back. Yeah. So whenever I have a hard time at work or whenever I can't succeed at something, my dad will bring it up. He's like, you were nine years old and you sold 500 boxes of Girl Scout cookies or however many that was. He's like, we couldn't move in the house because the amount of stuff you sold. He's like, if you could do that when you're that young, you could do it today.
0: Look at dad giving him the motivation. Yeah.
1: Yeah, motivational speaker.
0: So I'll tell you one of the most brilliant things that I've ever seen, and I might be I might be overplaying that a little bit, but it was brilliant. I saw this was uh, you know obviously here in California with marijuana being legal with the dispensaries. I saw Girl Scout cookies, the girls in front of the dispensaries.
1: I remember that. I was like, "Oh my!" Talk about God. knowing your target audience. yeah
0: I don't. Between you and I, you know how many boxes I bought that day. Oh, I mean, I'm just yeah. saying. I was driving. That by. you saw yeah. I meant, boxes. It was yeah. a friend. I was taking a friend because he was yeah. he was had anxiety. But yeah, I looked at that. I we were. I literally, I was driving by, and I was like, "That is brilliant." I think I actually pulled mm-hmm. over and bought a few boxes. My wife's like, "What are you doing? I'm buying a few boxes. That's brilliant. That kid is gonna be." He's going to have the next big software company or something like that's it right there. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was brilliant. I was like, shout yeah. out to the Girl Scout cookies. I was like, man, that's awesome.
1: I mean, the other place you could do it, which probably wouldn't be as awesome is like in front of a Jenny Craig.
0: Yeah. Just in case you fall off that wagon, you're like, listen, we're here to support you. We're not going to judge you if you want to get a few boxes.
1: Yeah. I always laughed. There was uh, I worked night shift at a pizzeria in high school. And so you had the pizzeria and then you had an ice cream shop and then you had, Weight Watchers or Jenny Craig or one of those, like all in a row. So that's one of my, I always look at how many malls are built up. Yeah. Where you have the dentist, the sweet shop the doctor.
0: Yeah. Or it's like a church and the liquor store. You're like, I don't know why they're right yeah. next to each other, but I guess. sometimes.
1: Yeah, Or wedding dress store and divorce attorney. Yeah. You that know? makes
0: sense. You're like, why not <laughs> get in early? Why not? Just hedge a bet against my relationship. Not a big deal. So also I've seen some pictures. This is kind of on a personal level. Cause you always seem to like to set goals and go and crush them. Um, mm-hmm. Mount Everest. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about that. What was, uh, give the, give the, the listeners a little story behind that. What did you do there?
1: So I kept trying to one-up myself every single year. Shocker. So the first year, I know, first year I did a hike Salcante to Machu Picchu. Hello.
0: Machu Picchu.
1: Which was a four-day hike. Mm -hmm. It was 16,000 feet was the top. Peru, right? Yeah. Today, it would probably be easy for me. Then it was very difficult. And the next year, I went to Kilimanjaro. Yeah. And I went with um, one of my old coworkers because she's also an avid traveler. And so she went with me. And I told her, I said, hey, if if we can do this, if we can do Killy, let's do Everest, jokingly. Yeah. But then that joke kind of drove me through it. So I went to Kilimanjaro thinking, I'm the weakest of the bunch here. You know, here's my friend who runs Ironman. Here's some women who all own, one of them owns a CrossFit gym, and they're all like heavy CrossFit CrossFit athletes. Makes sense. And here's little old me. I'm never going to make it. I made it to Kilimanjaro as the first one up, the only one to get to the top, without getting sick we will be polite put it that way and when I got down I was like let's go to Everest and so I booked a trip the very next year to the base camp of Everest which was harder than Kilimanjaro oh really yeah Killy, the height gets you and the height gets you in the last day so you go from 15,000 feet up to 19,8 it's 19,838 I think is what it is all like within six hours Ah, and it's just devastating yeah. yeah It was like an angel and a devil by the time I got up there. One one side of me is going, what the? What are you doing, you crazy woman? Turn back. Turn back. And the other side is, you're almost there. You can do this.
0: You haven't up yet. We're doing good.
1: Yeah, we're fine. And then Everest was just as hard, but it was 15 days. And so you would have one hard day. You would have an easy day that was like up, down, up, down, up, down. And then you'd have a really hard day that's like up, 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 up. And then you'd have a rest day. And then you would have another up, down, up, down, up, down. And then each stage kept getting harder and harder. And so it was, you know, a good nine days all the way up. And I got sick a number of times. There's one day that's 10 hour hike back down. Uh I couldn't hold down food that entire hike, but they separated me from the pack. They're like, Hey, go with the Sherpa. He's going to take you down, go with the guide. You separate. So if, if you need to, you know, go look at a rock, you can go look at the rock. I made it down Over half an hour before everybody else. And the only reason was motivation because where we were going was the Namche Bazaar, which is a a trade city, Ah. a woman owned trade city. Like women have the stance they are not men. Nice. Which was also interesting. Part of the Sherpa culture. So I made it there half an hour early because there was a shower and there was a Western toilet and there was a bed with a mattress. What motivation? Yeah. I was like, oh, comforts of life. Take me there. Yeah,
0: See, for me, that I've been like, yeah. listen, we have a six pack of Guinness at the end of this thing, but you got to get there fast. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm ready. Let's do it. I'm motivated. Let's <laughs> do this. In. I'm all in. So cool. So obviously we've talked a little bit about your, obviously your hiking and your traveling. If you mm-hmm. could, if money wasn't an issue, where would mm-hmm. you, where would you live and why?
1: If money wasn't an issue. I'd probably live in Thailand.
0: Ooh, where in Thailand?
1: Outside of Chiang Mai. Okay. I'd probably live in the hills about an hour away from town
0: i've been to i didn't go to chiang mai my brother and my dad did but i've been to ko samui and i've been to bangkok and that was all really really fun yeah i'm a i'm a i love traveling yeah like i try to like my speaking events that i do i like try to move them around whatever country i want to go to like like oh that's awesome yeah i try yeah for me it's like oh hey i heard you guys are having a local event and, you know Kotor. you know they're like well yeah kind of like oh, yeah i want to speak like hey let me come on out and they're like all right i guess whatever you want to do <laughs> You want to come out for yeah. a month? we're just doing this on Tuesday? I'm like, no, no, it's fine. It's okay. That's just, that'll be fine. Don't worry. Just invite me out. Just pay for the plane. We'll be fine. Get out somewhere yeah. in the middle. Yeah, I do. I've been I was bit by the travel bug a long time ago. My dad and my family. Well, I went to school in Costa Rica, which is a whole nother story about 20 years ago. No, 25 years ago now. Jeez, it's been a little while. But mm-hmm. so that's kind of got me into the whole traveling thing. And and I saw your little paintings behind you. So I knew you had a little bit of culture in you with the whole San Francisco vibe. Awesome. So this is gonna be the this is the sad part. This is the end of the podcast. I know this. Kind of like the
1: breakup part. Yeah, I
0: know. This is like we're... Yeah,
1: I feel like like we're breaking up. What are
0: we going to do after this? Like, I don't know. I guess we'll just figure out custody for the kids. So I have... Let's say say if you were going to dinner, what would be three people? And I have a feeling you're going to have a very eclectic group of people at your table, which I would hope that somehow I was involved in this dinner if it was three other people. Mm -hmm. What three people would you invite to dinner? It can be dead or alive. If you were going to have dinner with Mm -hmm. anybody and you said, listen, this can be one night, whatever, hour, two hours dinner, who would you have?
1: I would go for the conversation, Mm -hmm. not with me, but with them. So I would love to have Stoktakovich to hear about his time during the war and just, I mean, the symphonies he creates. It's one of my favorite, one of my favorite composers. And then I would probably have someone like Monet Uh to look at someone from the arts and impressionist period because – Impressionist, especially in Paris, they had this own little vibe yeah. and this little tribe together. And so to get that, that would be really interesting. And then I think I would do someone that's a little newer, like Martin Luther King, or someone who's trying to drive change in civil society. Yeah. I could I,
0: I wouldn't have guessed those exact ones, but I knew that yours would have been like these like, oh, from these like yeah, like yeah. I want this person from here and then this person from this era, I want to know. I could have guessed that. I could have guessed. You're a very yeah. interesting individual, Amy. This was an awesome interview. I think taking Thanks. the time today.
1: Of course. And I'll have
0: to reach out to you when I come out to San Francisco and I'm holding little Noah. I'll, I'll, maybe we'll come out and have a coffee or something like that.
1: Definitely. Yeah.
0: Awesome, Amy. Well, thank you so much for the interview. If anybody needs to get in contact with you, what's a good way mm-hmm. to get in contact with you?
1: Twitter or LinkedIn is always really good. Um, and. My handle on both of them is Amy W. Higgins.
0: Not O. Higgins.
1: Not O. Higgins. W. Higgins.
0: Um, Well, cool, Amy. Have an awesome rest of your day. Thank you so much for the interview.
1: Thank you.